We're going to get our money's worth with this guy. So uh, let me turn, uh, let me actually pray for him, and then he's going to lead us in the word. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Showers and his desire, his training, and his passion for the Lord. And we pray that as he brings your word to us, Lord, that it would quicken our hearts, that it would cause us, that it would change us, cause us to live in a new way. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, it was a couple of days ago that I was... Uh, at the church over at uh, Eastminster Presbyterian Church with David Zavidel's pastor. And, and uh, I think it was, we were just talking, and he said, oh, could you, could you preach uh, over here, over to Redeemer, in a couple of days? And I said, well, sure. So uh, I got home and thought, well, what am I going to preach on? And, and I got a call from, from uh, Carlos, and, and uh, he, he wanted to know right away what I was going <laughs> to preach on. And I, I work construction as a, I'm doing tent making ministry right now, and I was, I was still pretty much out of it uh, from the day's work, and so I, uh, so I just sat down and started thinking, well, what, what, what can I do? And there's a song by um, Allison Krauss uh, and Union, Union Station Sing, written by Ron Block, and it's called uh, There's a Reason for It All. And that song is a, is a beautiful song, and it really gets you thinking, and I was thinking about that, and I, I had actually... Um, thought about that from a passage that I had read. What is the reason for it all? And so, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, I'll be reading verses 24 to 29. So hear God's Word, beginning with verse 24, chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh... I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. As I was thinking about this passage, I I was going... Thinking about that song, what is the reason for it all? And I, I thought from this passage, well, what was the reason for Paul's ministry? What was the reason that he toiled and labored and, and gave all of his life for Jesus Christ? What is our purpose as individuals and as a church? Dr. Michael Horton writes, our sense of purpose as individuals and as a church depends largely on how clearly we grasp certain truths, truths about who God is, who we are, and what God's plan for history involves. Paul's concern for, for the believers here at this church at Colossae is, is really what my concern is for you and, and also uh, the reason that I became a minister of the gospel as well. Paul says here in, in verses 25 and 26, that his purpose is to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for 
ages and generations, but now revealed among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says that he does this by proclaiming Christ, warning everyone, and and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? He says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That really should be the ultimate goal of every minister of the gospel, to present everyone in Christ to be mature, growing in their faith, growing in their love for Christ and His people. You know that Jesus Christ, He lived a perfect life, and He died on the cross, and He rose from the dead to save His people from their sins and to give them new and eternal life. And because of that, because of that gospel, everything is changed. Everything. See, when you trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, as I did some 35 years ago, you choose to follow Him. You give Him your your whole life, every part of it. But you soon learn that when you do that, it requires a a certain kind of death. You see, Christ died for us, but if we are to live with Him, it requires a death for us as well, a death to self. Jesus said this, He said that it means you will take up your cross daily, dying to your natural desires to follow the ways of the world. And yet, even if we know that we've made that true commitment to Christ, don't you, don't you find yourself losing steam often? You know, you, you've made a commitment, you truly want to keep it, but, but you know, just the world comes in on you. And as was, was played earlier about fear, you, you can easily fear your, your family, what your family thinks about it. Or you can fear about what it's going to cost you maybe in your job. Or maybe what it's going to cost you uh, in, in promotions that you might get. Or maybe the direction that you were taking may have to change. See, what we need is an ongoing vision. The pastor talked about the vision for this church, what it has. And we need an ongoing vision of what God is working in us to achieve in this world. We need to see and understand God's overall plan for creation, for us. You might call it what God's blueprint is. That is what was what is now, and what will be one day. And the place, of course, that we go to find this is in the Scripture, in the Bible. For us to be effective as Christians, we need to identify ourselves with God's overall plan for His creation. We need to, we need to see the, the big picture. We need to see the, the whole story of how it all fits together and really where we are in that plan. There's a book I read last year called Unfashionable by Pastor Tulin Chavijan. He's now the pastor, uh, he's a, actually, I think, a son-in-law of Billy Graham, and uh, he's a pastor down at uh, D. James Kennedy, former church, Coral Ridge in Florida, big church. But he wrote this book, and, and in it he says that the Bible tells really a three-part story. Creation, God made everything good, fall, our sin has broken everything, and redemption, 
Everything in Christ will be made new. Let's look briefly then at this three-part story to kind of get an overall picture of what God's plan is and how we fit in it. Start with really what was on Paul's mind to make the Word of God fully known. His desire is for us to understand we have to start, go all the way back to the beginning. Creation. God made everything good. In this first book of the Bible, we see how God created the universe out of nothing. By His own powerful Word, the Scripture says. He spoke it into existence. He did this for His own reasons, for His own glory, for Himself. He is the Creator, and and apart from, from Him, nothing exists. Nothing ever existed. Nothing continues to exist or ever will exist. And we, and everything else in the universe, are the creation. We are the creation, and we need the Creator. The Creator doesn't need us. As much as we would like to think so, He was perfectly fine without us from all eternity. But He chose to have us, to make us. And when God did this, when He created all things, He said He made them good. In fact, He said they were very good. All that he'd made. Think of all, the, all, the, all that we have in the universe. The stars, the, the planets, atoms, light, water, the, the mountains. Uh, everything that you can see around you and even the things that you cannot see. Especially people in this room. People all around. God made everything for a purpose and a reason. He made everything good. And he says that he made man in his own image. I don't know everything that that means, but I I do know that it means that we share in some way the attributes of God. Amazing thing. And that makes us different from anything else in all creation. It makes us special. It makes us set apart from, from any other plant or animal, even if though we may share many characteristics. Yet, the thing that makes us different from any other animal or plant life is that we're made in the image of God. As human beings, we could some way reflect that image, reflect God. That is, to be like Him in many ways. In some ways we cannot be, but in many ways we can. We're set apart from the rest of creation. We could, we could think, we could learn, we could talk, we could feel, we could have a personal relationship with this one great creator. And God said that because we were his own people, he gave us responsibility. He gave us a job. He gave us a, 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 a part in, in leading his creation in making it go forward in the way that He wanted. He gave us an assignment as human beings. He entrusted us with the care and development of His creation. We were given that privilege and responsibility, both male and female, all of us, have privilege and responsibility in His creation. God blessed man and woman, when He created them, and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. 
Nancy Piercy calls this, this directive from God the very first job description. You know, when you get a new job, you, you have a job description. You know, you got to be able to do this and this and this and this and this. And then if you're a pastor, you've got this cast category at the bottom of the job description that says other. <laughs> and that just kind of means, you know, everything that you can imagine but weren't expecting. <clears throat> But to be fruitful and multiply means that we have the responsibility. He has given us the responsibility to help develop his creation in this world that you see all around you, the social world. Think of this building we're in, to build churches, to build uh, schools, to build families, to build governments and cities and, and have laws. It means that we have responsibility to develop the very earth, to plant crops that you see all around us that are being harvested right now, to, to build bridges, to design computers, compose music, and on and on and on. You have been given a part in God's creation to develop this world, His world, and it is very good. This job description really reveals to us that we have a global responsibility. Not, not just a responsibility to take care of our own thing. We have a global responsibility. We should be interested in what's going on in our community and in our state and in our country and around the world, for it all belongs to our God, our Creator. We need to do that which generates life, affirms life, sustains culture, Everything from making babies to making music, from having a, a, a wonderful family life that we seek to develop, a civic life that we're a part of, a part of the community. I think it's a great thing, uh, that activity, to get people in the community, just to become involved in their life, to bring them in, to say, hey, we're here. We want to be a part of what is happening here and bring you, uh, be a part of what is happening in your life. Come in and be with us. We were put in charge of God's creation as human beings. We're, we were given the responsibility to work in it and to help bring it to its, its full potential. And this would glorify God, our Creator. That's why God made us. These responsibilities have often been called in Christianity the cultural mandate. God intended to do something with His world, His creation from the beginning for His glory and also for our good. It's for us, ultimately as well. But then something happened. Something disastrous happened. And that was the fall. Our sin has broken everything. Genesis 3, we read about the fall of man into sin, Adam and Eve, the first human beings. And they were representatives of the whole race. They were given a test by God. They were given one prohibition to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That meant they were not to trust in themselves and what they thought was right or wrong, but in what God said was right or wrong. Completely trusting in Him. They would trust in what His standards were for their lives. They were to trust Him for what was true and what was, what was beautiful. They were uh, not to develop their own, but to rest in Him. 
God gave them the test to see if they would believe Him, if they would, if they would love Him, if they would in, embrace Him and cling to Him forever, if they would submit to the fact that creation belongs and depends on the Creator. Not only for the physical things that we need for life, but, but for what is right, for what is the right knowledge of uh, what is morally correct. How we should live, how we should think. And as we know, our, our parents failed that first test. They grasped at equality with God. They wanted to, to be like God. They wanted to run things in their own way. In fact, Genesis 6, uh, even before that, we find that it says that eventually mankind, after the fall, wanted to do their own thing so, so much that eventually... The Scripture says they did what was right in their own eyes. And what was the result? Well, we see it all around us, the wickedness that we have everywhere that ruins God's creation, that corrupts it. And it came to a point where God was so fed up with this wickedness of man on earth to do only evil continually that He determined to wipe out all the people of the earth and except for one family and their children and two kinds of animal. But even after that, man continued to rebel against God, to go his own way, to, to do what he wanted to do in his own heart. You see, Adam's disobedience was actually what R.C. Sproul calls an act of cosmic treason. And don't we find ourselves rebelling against God in little and big ways? Even today, we want our own way, not God's way. We, yeah, we, it sounds good when we maybe hear it from the Bible on Sunday morning or maybe in a sermon. We agree, yeah, it should be that way. And then someone cuts us off in traffic. And what's our first thought? How dare you, you jerk? This is my right away. <laughs> How quickly we go from, oh yes, I'll follow you, Lord, to get out of my way. Where does that come from? It comes from this rebellious nature that we have as a result of the fall. And so we have this uh, catastrophe all around us going on. God's good creation started to have disease. It started to have death and, and all the things that we see that make life so, so difficult. In Romans 8.20, we're told that after the fall, all the created order, this says, was subjected to futility. All of the created order, subjected to futility. Do you ever ask yourself, why is everything I try to do so hard? You ever, you ever try to like take apart some simple object? Or maybe just work on your car? I can, I can do that. And, and there's always that one nut that will not come loose. You know, it's like you think, I'm, this, I'm good at it. this is simple. And then there's that one thing, maybe at work, there's that one person that's like, man, if that person wasn't here, it would be so, so fun. It would be so easy. Why does it have to be that way? All creation was subjected to futility. Vern Poitras, a professor of a seminary, is quoted by, when he's pointing out the, re, the broad wreckage of this futility that it causes in the world. He says, as a result of the fall, human beings have descended from Adam, suffer sin and death, and end up hurting one another in their sin and misery. 
But the curse that God pronounces because of Adam's fall also results in alternations in the broad order of creation. He says, you think of mosquitoes. Why mosquitoes? Mosquitoes, tapeworms, rabies, all carriers of diseases so debilitating to human beings. He says, who can guess all the ways in which the created order may have been put out of joint as the result of the fall? One man wrote, it's as if humanity's revolt perverted everything. Everything God created, not only individual human beings, but all of nature and the human community as well. Like a stone tossed in a pond, the corrosive curse of sin rippled out to destroy the entire world. Human society, the animal kingdom, even the ground itself began groaning under the weight of sin. Doesn't sound very good. Sounds pretty hopeless. And yet... God was merciful. Even though none of us deserved it. Adam and Eve didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. The image of God in man was not completely destroyed. See, all men still reflect something of that image of God. As twisted and and marred as it may be, mankind still has the cultural mandate from God, the responsibility to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, to create culture that, even though it has been affected by, by sin, God's still given us that responsibility. He hasn't taken away that responsibility from us. After the flood... Noah and his family still were given that responsibility. And then later, he gave it to Abraham. He set him apart. He set apart a whole people through Abraham to be his own. And he gave him promises. One of the promises he gave him was that all the families of the world would be blessed through him. Through him and the people of Israel. You know, you and I know that we live in this fallen world. I don't have to tell you, just pick up a newspaper, just turn on the TV. It's all around us. It's in our own heart. We can look right inside of us. I saw some people on the way to church today. I, I, I assume they were on the way to church. They were dressed like they were. and The lady was putting on makeup, and the man was turned to her just... And I'm thinking, I wonder what's going on there. <laughs> some of the worst arguments I've probably had with my wife and family is on the way to church, and I'm the preacher, you know. <clears throat> what has happened... Why is it like that? It's because of the fall. It's because our own hearts are corrupt. They're they're filled with evil. I got a call Thursday night. I went to bed about 9.30. I was really tired. And about 10.45, my phone rings. And uh, it's a friend of mine from Mississippi that was in my congregation down in Mississippi when I was pastoring there. He said, Fred, I got to tell you something. Uh, this, this friend, this, this son of a former member of my church down there was murdered today by his stepmother. And of course, you're taken back. We start talking about and thinking about it. This, this young man had been a, a cooker, a meth cooker. Um, he had, had been in and out of jail several times. Uh, I had gone to visit him several times and shared the gospel with him, and he said, yeah, I know all of that. And, you know, he, 
even occasionally showed up at church. But his life was really a mess, and he had come back from Arkansas from a family that he had left there. He had left two or three families along the way, and a couple, two or three children. And he, his life was just, you know, uh, just messed up. And he got in an argument with his stepmother and um, came back after this argument to the house, and she opened the door and shot him with a shotgun. Dead. This is the second child of this woman that she has lost tragically. Her first child... Her daughter died of alcohol poisoning. Kathy and I had taken her to counseling several times to try to get her help. We'd done everything we could, but she died tragically. And here was the second child of this woman who had died tragically. Why? What is this all about? Why does this kind of stuff happen? It's because of the fall. Because our hearts are not right. And still, with all of this, we're given a mandate to do what is good, to do what is right, even in the midst of all this sorrow. I'm working right now for an electronics company, an electrical contractor. We're working at MCA uh, Chemical Plant Mitsubishi. And uh, we're in there and we're tearing the plant apart and we're rebuilding it. Into a, we're making it into a factory. It was a, a manufacturing factory and a warehouse. Now we're making it all into a warehouse. We're, it was built, now we're tearing it apart, and then it'll be rebuilt. And that's kind of what man does. You know, he, he, tear, he builds things up, he tears them down, he rebuilds them. You see it all around us. Since I uh, started living here, came down to Old Dominion in 72, this whole area has just exploded. It's, I wouldn't have recognized it if I came here in 72 to this area and then to come back now some 30-some years later. It's a totally different area. Mankind is building, building it up. He can't help himself. We create things. We want to create things out of order, out of disorder. That, that's, nature is within us. That has not been destroyed, even in our fallenness. Now, of course, God would have been perfectly just if he had let us all die off because we disobey him after the fall. But the amazing thing is that he did not. He did not. Immediately after the fall, he set in motion his plan to bring creation back to a better order, to something that was wonderful. He sought out Adam and Eve. They, whoops, they ran from him. They ran from him in the garden. God came after them, though. And he said, where are you, Adam and Eve? Where are you? They were hiding. <laughs> he didn't say, what have you done? He knew what they had done. He said, where are you? They couldn't run from God. Neither can we, even though they tried. He sought them out. He wanted them. Not only did he seek them out, but yes, he did give them curses that he had promised, but he also gave them promises. Promises that one would come from the seed of the woman who would crush the head of Satan for his people and accomplish what they could never. This is God's plan of redemption. That everything in Christ will be made new. So when I mentioned C.S. Lewis, you're probably familiar with his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And he tells the story, of course, of the country called Narnia, in which is under a curse of the white witch. The evil queen has, has cast a spell on the land so that it is always winter, but never Christmas. Things look bad until 
Word comes that Aslan is on the move. You may know that Aslan, this noble lion, represents Christ. And he's on the move. He's coming to make things right in Narnia. He will destroy the white witch and the spell that she has cast over the land. And the snow melts and spring is in the air. And when he comes, everything begins to change in Narnia. C.S. Lewis' story is an allegorical tale, of course. It, it, it paints a picture of the reality of what God is up to. You see, God's redemption story is a real story. It's real. And He has come to reverse the curse of sin and renew all things. God is restoring all things. He's improving all things, not destroying them. Our sin, the curse, destroys them. God renews. He renews things in our life, and He renews things in the created physical world. He will do that. He's building His kingdom. We're told in Revelation 11.5, which looks ahead to this glorious kingdom, that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That is what we have to look forward to. That is what He's doing right now. He is building His kingdom. You are a part of that kingdom. I am a part of it. All those who are seeking after Christ and wanting to do God's glory are part of what God is doing to redeem this planet, to reverse the curse, to change everything back to what God wants, even better than it was in the beginning. God wants to transform this pleasant, this present world that we see all around us, and He continues to do it. And he does it mostly through Christ who changes our hearts. That's what redemption is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. Changing us. Building God's kingdom. That's why it's such good news. Christ came to make everything new. The Son of God came into the world to accomplish a mission. To recover and repair a world that was lost and broken in sin. He came to restore and renew the earth for God's glory and for our good. We need to realize God is out for our good. Do you believe that? He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to renew His, his chosen people from their sins by His substitutionary death on the cross. To reverse the curse and destroy death that was brought on by Adam disobedience. His bodily resurrection from the grave guaranteed it. When he was raised on the third day, he dealt the final blow to death, guaranteeing the renewal of all things. That his people would live forever and would one day be risen to eternal life fully with their bodies forever. Now that, that's good news. That's good news. God is declaring through His Scripture, through His Word, and through His people. And through Christ, our relationship with God is restored so that we become the adopted children of God. It's amazing. We who rebelled against God, God takes us back. He adopts us back into His family through faith in Christ. And that's why all the good works that we are called to do as His people, and we are called to do good works for Him, 
to help the poor, to alleviate suffering, to help build culture around us, to help reach out to people who are lonely in this community, to help those who are in need, to spread God's good news of Christ and His redemption to others. That has a lasting, eternal significance. Every one of us, what we do and say can be a part of what God is doing to restore this world and people. Of course, none of the blessings of this good news of the gospel of Christ is available to anyone apart from, who remains apart from Jesus Christ. Because, you see, Jesus said that there's not a lot of ways to get to God. There's, there's really only one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God wants to give us everything that is His in Christ. He wants to restore that which was fallen. And through faith in Christ, we become united to Him. Placing our trust completely in His finished Word. The Scripture says that, as Paul said, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ actually dwells in us by His Holy Spirit and gives us that eternal hope that what we see around us, this world, and all of its fallenness is changing and will change one day to be completely renewed. One of the old dead guys that I like to read and quote sometimes <laughs> is John Calvin. You may have heard of him. Listen to what he said about this. He said, as long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. But for all who are united to Christ, everything false, bad, and corrupting will one day be consumed by what is true and good and beautifying, including the material world. He said, until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by His fatherly care, that He is the author of every good thing, they should, that they should seek nothing beyond Him, they will never yield Him willing service. Unless they establish their complete happiness in Him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to Him. Friends, God is on the move. God is on the move. He is in the business of redeeming people back to Himself in Christ. He's also in the business of redeeming this fallen creation. And that's why we are to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God's mission is to bring heaven to earth. And He's calling each one of us, each one of you, to come to Him and be a part of that through His Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, that is the reason for it all. He's calling each one of us to be a part of us. So won't you come? Come to Christ. He will make you a part of all that He is doing for our good and for His glory.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your wonderful plan of redemption. And even though we messed it up so badly and we still turn away from You in so many ways and often seek to go and do our own thing, yet in Your mercy and in Your grace, You have sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sin, took on the punishment that we deserve, that we might come to know You, to be restored into fellowship with You and to be a part of Your kingdom that is growing right here, right now, and forever. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves fully to Jesus Christ, every part. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Lead us in communion in just a second, but I do want to draw your attention to something we haven't normally done at Redeemer, but I've asked Cal and Dot Fred to be available for prayer in the back. You may just need someone to pray for you. You're just working through a particular issue, and you just need someone to pray for you. They're just the people to do so. So your heart in terms of communion, you're not ready for communion, but you need to meet with someone who will pray for you. They're, they're going to be back there and available um, for you. So Pastor Sharos will lead us in communion, and Ken and I will be assisting you at the property. Okay. All right. The Lord's Supper is a, a meal that was instituted by Jesus Christ for the benefit of His people. It is given as a sign and a seal that God is among us, that Christ did something, that He died on the cross. He really died on the cross. If you could go to the cross, you could run your hands down it and get, get splinters. That's what Francis Schaeffer used to say. He died in real history, and He rose from the dead. And He talked to people. He ate fish. He did several things to show people that He really died and then rose and is living today. He's living today and He's making an intercession for us. And we come to the Lord's Supper to celebrate Christ's death and resurrection. It's really what we talked about in the sermon, that He came to redeem us, to redeem His creation, to give us new life in Him. And He likes to give us not only His spoken word, but He likes to give us a picture of His redemption. He likes to show us with uh, things that are very simple, but things that are common that we can all experience. Fruit of the vine, um, the cup, uh, fruit of the vine, wine or grape juice, and uh, bread, the bread of life, something that we, we all need. He used these common elements to teach us a great spiritual truth that He died for us. He shed His blood and He gave His body for us to give us the gift of eternal life. And the Bible says one day we will eat that fellowship with Him in heaven, in the new earth. We will have a, a communion with Him that is only reflected uh, in, in just a very slight way by the communion, the fellowship that we have together as we eat and drink this morning. But Jesus Christ said that Really, the elements are for His people. They're not for those who have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ. They are only for those who know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior or are good standing with a member of His church uh, or as a member of His church where they, so they understand that this, this is a communion meal for the people of God. And so we ask that if, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, stay with us and, and observe uh, what will take place. And just let the elements pass by or, or you know, it's, it's, no, it's no big deal. 
Okay? And even those who, if you feel in your heart that you, the scripture says, if you have sin in your heart that you just really are struggling with and you haven't been able to confess it or make it right with someone, just let the elements pass by. You, you don't have to take it. There's no requirement. This is a, this is a fellowship meal that is to be a blessing uh, that we share in. But having said that, it's not to keep you if you truly are repentant of your sin and are turning to Christ in faith and want that fellowship with Him and His forgiveness. The Scripture says, come, come, partake of this fellowship, of this meal. And so I encourage you to take some time right now and just let's pray together and ask God to reveal to, our own, to us our hearts and really where they are.